politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here for a new week, May 23rd, although I am pre-recording here because we are out here at our Patriot Academy handgun defensive training. Yes, you should be jealous you didn't come. A couple months from now, there will be more opportunities. Um, folks, the good news is that bats are out. The bad news is that monkeys are in. Now, if the world wound up being destroyed after I record this, then I take no responsibility. But as we know now, today, they are meeting, and when I say they, I mean the bad guys, the cabal, they're meeting in Geneva to adopt this pandemic treaty. They're also meeting to discuss monkeypox. There also happens to be monkeypox unnaturally being seeded around different places. It also happens to be that last year they approved a smallpox that, uh, well, they bought monkeypox vaccines in 2019. And then last year, a therapeutic, which happens to be very dangerous, wrote about that last year. There's an awful lot of coincidences going on. Basically, we have a system that is plotting and scheming against us. And we have a Republican Party that sits there. Half of them are complicit. And then the more conservative half is just distracted and does nothing. And I want to bring this out with with a point about, I mean, someone I consider still consider a friend. But a lot of people are passing around the clip of Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla talking about ingestible pills. And how you could have a tiny clip that sends a wireless signal to relevant authorities when the pharmaceutical has digested. And he says, imagine the compliance. Now, by the way, just know there are about 270 ingredients in Pfizer shot that we don't know about. So who's to say they didn't put it in the in their existing therapeutic? So Senator Ted Cruz tweets, this is evil. And I'm like, you think, Ted? I mean, Ted has taken the, and I don't mean to beat up on him more than anyone else, but everyone except for Ron Johnson, pretty much, and I could pretty much say that with certitude from conversations I've heard people have had with all these other senators, they've taken the angle that Pfizer's good, everyone should get vaccinated, Pfizer's awesome, let's spend tens of billions of dollars, they voted for all these bills, or most of the bills, And even if they opposed them, it was because of other provisions. But I just oppose mandates. It's like, well, you recognize that these people both have the power and desire to impose transhumanism on us and harm us. You see all the harms from the shots, unless you're blind. And yet you you, you vote for it anyway. And you continue supporting the shots. And you don't call for them to be pulled. And you don't call for a divestment of this. You know, imagine if you had, oh, the CEO of Planned Parenthood is evil, but then we're going to continue funding them. Right? Someone like Ted Cruz would never do that. Why is Pfizer different now that you recognize the problem? This is the thing with the conservatives. Like, the conservative movement my whole life has been all about complaining about something enough to make a talking point out of it and, and a meme out of it. And then they don't do anything about it. And often what they do is counter to it. 
So he's all about Ukraine, when meanwhile, on this very week, they are meeting to impose the next pandemic on us. And folks, it's not over. No, we didn't repudiate lockdowns, and we certainly didn't repudiate masks and, and the shots. This cycle is continuing. It's not over with. And meanwhile, so you might think, okay, the WHO cabal in Geneva, this is like real radical. That's like the most radical Democrats. Well, here's a list of Republicans who are attending. <clears throat> this is Michael McCall. He's, he would be the GOP House Homeland Security Chair. Uh, if Republicans take back Congress, Senator Pat Toomey, Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi, Francis uh, uh, Suarez, the mayor of Miami, Daniel uh, uh, Miser, congressman from Pennsylvania, and Wagner, congresswoman from Missouri, Daryl Issa. What's up with that? Congressman from California, Debbie Fisher, senator from Nebraska. These are red states. Eric Holcomb, the rhino dirtbag governor from Indiana. And of course, my very own governor here, <coughs> Lockdown Larry Hogan from Maryland. So there's a number of Republicans that are attending this. They have no problem with it. This is the problem. And then as we watch the dots be connected with this monkeypox thing, some of you might have seen this, but for those of you who didn't, you got to know about this. On March 18th, of 2021, <clears throat> this is about uh, 14, yeah, 14 months ago. NTI, this group, uh, NTI, what is it, nuclear threat something, they held a global biological policy and programs team meeting at a Munich conference. And guess what? It was about a bioterror attack of monkeypox. Okay? And they have a report that they published based on that. And they predict a monkeypox... No, well, they don't predict it, tongue-in-cheek. They simulate it, a hypothetical of monkeypox breaking out May 15th, 2021. It's right there. They have a timeline. And they say, you know, a quarter of the 40% of the population's uh, uh, infected, over a quarter billion dead. If you think they can't and won't do this to us, I'm not saying this is it. But what I am saying is Gates kept warning about smallpox. The FDA bought up a monkeypox vaccine. They've been going around vaccinating all over Africa, which means they're shedding it. And they approved a smallpox therapeutic and violated every rule in creating it because they, they couldn't do a human trial because there are no human cases of smallpox. It's extinct. And you couldn't infect people with it and do it. So they relied on animal trials for a drug that was once tried for adenovirus in humans, and it was found to be deadly. And they approved it anyway. They put a black box warning on it. Tembexa is, is the drug. 
And they predicted it to the day, to the week that it came out. And then it appears that it's kind of acting in a way that would reflect gain-of-function research, meaning either gain-of-function and they released it, or a gain-of-function vaccine that they vaccinated and and then that shed it. But the, the fact that they are going to continue releasing viruses, blocking treatment, vaccinating, masking, and locking down, we have not ended that whatsoever. There is no element of the Republican Party that is committed to ending that, and there's no element of the Republican Party that is committed to investigating the origins of this. And, and remember, you don't need control of Congress for that. There's plenty of them that have a lot of money and a big platforms and voices they could pull together and messages and put out information. They could put out minority reports, committee minority reports, and warn people. People don't seem to want to realize COVID was unleashed on us. For the same reason they unleashed that, there's no reason they're not going to unleash more. So I think anyone who thinks, who thought COVID was a once-in-a-hundred-year natural event, well, a year later you get an insane thing like monkeypox, you know exactly where that's coming from. Now, pray, pray to God that this isn't going to be you know, as transmissible as, as the gain of function could turn out to be. But what I am sure about is that they're monkeying around with this. That's the reality. They are monkeying around with this. And remember, we don't know. We don't know what they've been doing. We know nothing. You know, there's an article at Trial Site. IAVI, it's a pharmaceutical company, and Moderna launched new clinical trial of mRNA HIV vaccine in Africa. And it talks about 97% immune response. The point is, while we're asleep, they're out there spreading bioweapons everywhere. See, we think like, oh, this is a year or two or three away. But they're doing phase one, phase two, phase three trials everywhere. They're seeding this stuff everywhere. Every disease you could imagine, they're creating it through mRNA, other vaccines. And I shudder to think, what do you think about how bad the COVID vaccines are? You can imagine an mRNA HIV vaccine. Are you kidding me? Is that going to make it go airborne now? Who knows? I don't know. But based on what we do know and what we did experience, you have to assume this is what they're doing to us. And yet you have Republicans attending, no state having an emergency legislative session, criminalizing the enforcement of any WHO uh, regulation. And Republicans largely don't even talk about this. All they care about is fighting Russia. And meanwhile, what's that doing? Harming families. Folks, while we're facing crippling uh, inflation, supply chain shortages, Food prices are soaring. To quote Biden with regards to food shortages, it's going to be real. And he he wants it. With inflation skyrocketing, gold is always the best hedge against the casino stock market, which has been down for like nine consecutive weeks, the first time since 1932. 
put your nest egg in something of worth, invest in gold and silver with birch gold. Um, their unique angle is to convert your IRA or 401k tax sheltered account into gold and silver. So rather than having some sort of mutual fund IRA, you could put it in a tax sheltered account like I did. How did I do that? Well, you get started by texting Daniel to 989898 with thousands of satisfied customers and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. They are really the long-established gold company. So text gold, text Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit, no obligation, 989898. Text Daniel to protect your savings away from the stock market. While you, while you protect your savings, you got to protect your body. And uh, as I mentioned uh, on Friday, nitazoxanide is actually something that does... There are studies on working against smallpox. So, you know, something to keep in mind when when the crap hits the fan. And, and by the way, what's interesting is if you look at this Munich, so it's nti.org, if you want to look it up, March 18th, 2021, Munich Security Conference convene global leaders for annual tabletop exercise on reducing high-consequence biological threats. And they basically talk about you know, the fictional scenario and what they would do. Key themes emerge regarding the need to strengthen international pandemic risk assessment and early warning system to establish clear trigger, triggers for national-level anticipatory response and aggressive early action to slow disease transmission to reduce biotech risks and enhance oversight of life sciences research and to promote new and stronger international health security preparedness financing mechanisms. You know what's interesting? There's one thing that's not in there. Establishing immediate research on how to treat the virus. I mean, isn't that the most obvious thing you'd want to prepare for? How to get ahead of the pathophysiology of what we think are the next viruses and how how they work and find therapeutics that we know work against them. Well, there's an obvious reason it's not there because they're not trying to anticipate pandemics. They're creating them. And they're creating them to kill and maim and control. So if you're going to kill, maim, and control, well, you don't want the antidote to it. You want a fake antidote, a dangerous antidote to it. You do not want a real one. So that's why that's always missing. And by the way, another interesting thing, you know what's um what's interesting? I thought of this over the weekend. With COVID, they said because some people could have COVID, therefore every single person is in perpetuity a potential threat by virtue of being a person, by virtue of being around someone. So you always have to wear a mask. Uh, you know, during the lockdowns, you you could you restriction of movement. You have to get the shots. You're always suspect. Well, openly, they're saying that most of the monkeypox is coming from homosexual relations. Now, I don't know yet if that's the main thing and if that's a distraction. I don't know, but that's what they're saying. So, based on their own thing, shouldn't we ban homosexuality? I'm just saying, 
right? Because that's a very narrow, specific action. With COVID, they banned all activity unless you did their thing. You can't breathe freely anywhere, anytime, any person, forever, not just during the course of your illness, but forever, because somehow that you're always suspect and that helps stop the spread. So I'm just saying, if you're going to narrowly limit it to homosexual behavior, shouldn't we ban homosexuality? I'm just saying intellectually, legally, and morally, based on their code of ethics, by a factor of 100, that would be much more ethical to do. I'm just saying, you know, if that's where they're coming from. But uh, obviously this is not about stopping illnesses because they are creating it. That That is, I'm 100% sure. I never thought of vaccines as spreading. I never knew about that. But now we have that confirmed and we see it. There is no question that the reason why the last two decades we've had all this stuff, even if they weren't big with all these avian flus and all these SARS things and, um, you know, all these Ebolas and, and, and Ebola seemed normal. But now we know they were all over Africa for years with these Ebola vaccines. I mean, folks, even two Columbia University professors are now calling for investigation of, of where the heck SARS-CoV-2 came from. They wrote a letter published at pnas.org, a call for an independent inquiry into the origin of SARS-CoV-2 virus. Professors Neil Harrison and Jeffrey uh, Sachs. And they note, the precise nature of the experiments that were conducted, including the full array of viruses collected from the field and the subsequent sequencing and manipulation of those viruses remains unknown. They note that NIH and USAID and other research partners, UNC, Chapel Hill, failed to disclose their activities to the U.S. scientific community and the U.S. public. No kidding. Republicans haven't demanded they do so. Um, they talk about the Furin Cleavage site, which is clearly made. They talk about the fact that uh, um, this was just two weeks ago acting NIH director Lawrence Tabak testified before Congress that several such sequences in a U.S. database were removed from public view and that this was done at the request of both Chinese and U.S. investigators. We have that from an email now. So, like, this is a big deal. Don't you think it's an amazing thing, the optical illusions and the ability to focus your attention away from something? This is the biggest story in the history of human creation. I'm not exaggerating, and I could, I could quantify it. Because there is nothing that has wrought this much disruption and destruction and death and misery and everything. And it's not like we don't know where it came from. We, we affirmatively know it was man-made. And we know roughly who was involved. We don't know all of the players involved. We know some of them involved. And there's no, like, emphatic demand at the tip of the tongues of any Republicans, save for a few, to do anything about it. Again, anything you do at a federal level, you could do at a state level. There's nothing stopping governors from, you know, if it's too much money for, to fund it alone, get 10, 15, 20 Republican governors together and contribute. Have an interstate task force to invest, investigate this. Oh, no, no, let's move on to abortion, guns, and taxes. Okay. Yeah, that will really help. 
And folks, they are not done with this. Do you know, um, this is from the National Pulse. U.S. bioethics chief, who happens to be Fauci's wife, right, this is Christine Grady, she published a new paper telling corporates they have ethically they can ethically pressure employees and embarrass vaccine resistors. So, <clears throat> um, Christine Grady, Fauci's wife, is the head of the Department of Bioethics at at uh, the you know National Institutes of Health Clinical Center. She wrote a paper: the ethics of encouraging employees to get the COVID nineteen vaccination. If you're uh, if you have a strong stomach, go read it. It's co-authored with three other NIH dudes and maybe some other, uh, you know, academics. It was published in March. And she focuses on the ethics of encouragement strategies aimed at overcoming vaccine resistance. While employment-based vaccine encouragement may raise privacy and autonomy concerns, and though some employers might hesitate to encourage employees to get vaccinated, our analysis suggests ethically acceptable ways to inform, encourage, strongly encourage, incentivize, and even subtly pressure. What does that mean? Basically, you have to articulate clear consequences of not complying. In that circumstance, employees have a choice between getting vaccinated or accepting the consequences of a choice. There can be social consequences associated with peer communication about vaccination such as stigma and ostracization of those not vaccinated. Individuals who choose to make the workplace less safe for others through their vaccine refusal should be able to foresee the possibility of this kind of social consequence. Stigma, ostracizing. Folks, they have not walked back one ounce of what they did, they're actually doubling down and getting stronger. And they're preparing to come out and say, yeah, you know what? COVID wasn't that big of a deal. So that required just a little response. This, my friends, is a big deal. It's going to kill 10%, 15%. People get it. You're going to need the Shanghai response. You're going to need the chemicals, you know, Sub, you know, somehow QR'd into your body through technology. This is not real. This is not speculation. This is what they're doing in front of our eyes. And despite everything we know from two years worth of damage and malfeasance from the lockdowns and the shots and the mass and everything and remdesivir and the blocking of treatment and the creation of the virus, there's no effort to take this to the next level. And folks, you don't even have to come on to that. Even with COVID, it's not done. So certainly the clot shot mandates on the military and healthcare workers and government workers, that's not done. But even the mask, right? Even the freaking mask. This is from... ABC 8 News in Lincoln, Nebraska. After spiking COVID-19 cases at two Lincoln elementary schools, officials decided to require masks until Wednesday. Letters were sent out to parents of East Ridge and Zeman Elementary Schools, notifying them of the change. Masking will be required for all staff, students, and visitors. And folks, this is freaking Lincoln, Nebraska. Where is the governor? Pete Ricketts, and, and, and he's termed out, 
There's another guy, an establishment guy who, who, who ran. Where's his voice? How is that form of child abuse that we have confirmed that it drops your CO2, it, it increases your CO2 levels, it drops your oxygen levels. We have that confirmed from multiple studies. We know it, is, it doesn't work. It's barbaric. It harms language development. It is the worst form of child abuse you can imagine. And where is the Republican Party? This is freaking impressive. At first, we're like, yeah, maybe the mass thing will linger in San Francisco and New York. No. This is in, in, in Nebraska. Now, somebody said, well, it's, it's Lincoln is the capital. It's kind of like whatever. I mean, dude, this is the problem. This is why we're losing the cities. And when I say cities, I don't even mean Houston in a red state. I mean, freaking Lincoln. It's not a big city. Until last election, Republicans always carried that county. I forget the name of the county where Lincoln is. But they carried it. And for the first time, Trump, uh, it, it flipped. Trump didn't win it. We're losing all the cities in red states. Because the governors are blue. And they don't aggressively fight it. This is the new, the new business. Oh, we're governors. We're not going to have it in the state. But every major city will be able to do what they want and impose the federal, you know, bio-Nazi uh, bio agenda. No. Why aren't they fighting for it? Where are they? Truly, truly disgusting. Truly disgusting. So, folks, this is not over with. They'll turn that on like a switch. Now is the time when it's unpopular to hit it. It is not outlawed in, 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 in Nebraska. So the cities are going to go back to doing it. So if we're at the point where you have to go to the most rural counties within the red states to be able to go to school without a diaper, I mean, dude, we're done. Where's the outrage? <clears throat> I don't want to hear about the traditional issues when this is going on. And it reminds me, in New Hampshire, there's news going on in New Hampshire. Speaking of schools, so, you know, we need patient rights, parental rights, bodily rights. I mean, we have to reaffirm all of this. And... You know, so some states, some of the conservatives that we have in legislatures are starting to focus on parent bill of rights, right? Because there's this very odious trend of infringing upon parental rights. It's happening in hospitals and healthcare. They, you know, look at what you're doing called child protective services. And certainly it's happening in schools in many different forms. And one of them, of course, is the grooming. So there's a very, very mild, watered-down bill that wound up passing the House and the Senate in New Hampshire. It's HB 1431, a parental rights bill. And it has a couple of provisions, and one of them is that it requires the school or school board teacher to notify the parent if they had any, if they took any action um to, to the student body, to the individual student regarding several things. So it could be bullying, so the parents need to know about that. It could be, um, 
you know, various academic things, health things, and one of them was gender identity. Okay? So it doesn't even... So, you know, at first I thought, oh, it, it said if the teacher does grooming and talks about it to a student, you have to notify the parents. But it doesn't say that. It says take an action. So, you know, very limited. But... The pedophile lobby, you know, which is extremely well-funded and strong, went berserk. And Governor Sununu and the Attorney General, who's also a Republican in New Hampshire, oppose it. And they say, oh, it's discrimination. Somehow it's going to lead to discrimination against the Alphabet Soup children, the LQFU, whatever children. And, uh, and there you go. It's like literally, like, you, you know those creepy commercials or these books that talk about, you know, always tell mommy and daddy it's never okay for an adult to, to go up to you and say, let's keep this a secret between you and me. And now they're like, you must keep it from the parents. How dare you notify them? That's that's discrimination against, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the gods of, of, of transgenderism and, and pedophilia and whatever else is in... Uh, the, the alphabet soup that, that's going to come up in the coming years. And, and ironically, the bill technically doesn't even do that. It doesn't even make them to divulge that. It's like they could pull a kid aside and like groom them. And they're, they're totally fine with it. This is the governor of New Hampshire who's a Republican. You know, the legislature there has done some pretty decent things, especially the House. Um, we had one legislator on from New Hampshire to discuss that a couple weeks ago. But we can't have nice things. And when I say nice things, I mean the, the mildest of things. So when we're wondering how in the world Republicans don't stand up when it comes to the grooming, well, I'll tell you guys, it's not so hard to figure that out. They don't stand up to genocide. There is literally nothing that could come out about COVID that will make Republicans do what needs to be done. Nothing. It's like we're wasting our breath every day. Yeah, this many people will die from the shots. It causes this disorder. And and it's all, you don't even have to go to right-wing blogs. It's all out, even with all the censorship, still the little bit that has percolated into medical journals, it's there. It doesn't matter. The Hollies, the Cruises, the, the Mike Lees. I'm talking about the top five guys. They're like, I oppose mandates, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to attack Pfizer. I don't want to look as if I'm anti-vax. Like, what? Th th this is what the Republicans are. They take the issue of our time and they say, I don't want to deal with it. Because I don't... They. they ascribe to themselves preemptively the label that their opponents slap upon them. They're like, I don't want that label, so therefore I'm not dealing with the issue. But you got to deal with it. It's like, I don't want to be anti-immigrant. Okay, but they're invading your country with hundreds of thousands of illegals every day. So what? So you're just whatever? Or I'm going to have, you know, one million 
illegal immigrants, predominantly from the third world, every single freaking year for 50 years, plus another million uh, visas taking away jobs from Americans and basically um, turning tech and now healthcare in many fields into persona non grata for Americans, and that's okay? Like, that that's not okay. Like, there's immigration in the right amount, the right place, the right way, the right time, like any other freaking policy. You've got to be smart enough to articulate that. And I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about the conservatives. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the ones that support this and are downright malfeasant. But but they're always like this. Same thing, Daniel, I don't know. I can't be anti-vax. What, what, what are you talking about? There might have been some vaccines that might have worked and, you know, worked safe, didn't cause too many issues, and were worthwhile. But if you understand the agenda that they're at now and what they're doing now, like, that's the biggest issue. It's not like, Daniel, yeah, like, you know, I'll fight on, you know, maybe crime I'll fight on, I'll fight on uh, taxes and abortion and guns, but, you know, let's just sit that one out. It's not worth it. What do you mean it's not worth it? That's the main course. That's what's going to kill us. Again, like, if you had two candidates... One, bad on taxes and abortion, but awesome on biomedical fascism, vaccines, and all that stuff. And then another candidate who's like, I don't want to touch that issue, but he's good on on guns and uh, abortion and taxes. Like, dude, I know where I'm going to go now. I want a candidate who's good on everything, but I'm just saying, you have to understand the issues of our time. Republicans, if you watch carefully, and that includes even the more conservative ones, they'll never fight sometimes they'll even agree to the left but they'll never fight the most potent issue at the time that it matters at at that critical juncture because that's the moment when there's the most heated opposition where they're going to trash you and you're they'll call you a killer and you're going to get people killed and you're um, mean and you're racist and you're whatever that's the issue they're going to fight most fervently but that's the one you got to fight so that's how we're left with the dynamic of a terrible terrible genocide and the republicans are complicit and the conservative ones are just asleep at the switch that's unfortunately where we are so folks i didn't plan this out uh to work out this way but literally uh as i'm recording and i'm recording this in two different parts at different times it comes across the wires that Governor Chris Sununu, believe it or not, has vetoed the mask bill. Okay? We had on a couple weeks ago Representative Melissa Blasick from New Hampshire. She was the chief sponsor and really architect of all these bills or most of these bills. And it simply banned local schools from implementing the worst form of child abuse. Okay? That simple. That's all it did. No child abuse. And you would think that wouldn't be too controversial. But he vetoed the bill. So that's two. I, I, I didn't even know this would happen when I started talking about this today. This is unbelievable. So it's mask and groom. You know, apostrophe N. He's going to mask the kids and groom the kids. Folks, this is at a time when masking is so freaking unpopular. And he gets up there and he says, this was his statement. So he vetoes HB 1131, barring school boards, school officials from uh, 
requiring kids to wear the diapers. Just because we may not like a local decision does not mean we should remove their authority. Similar to our fight to retain states' rights against a bloated, ever-encroaching federal government, we have a responsibility to ensure the state minimizes its infringement on local control. Now, it's not even worth debating that because I could tell you he doesn't believe that. That's the intellectual, phony, conservative argument he gives in order to fool people. He supports COVID fascism, and he believes we are radical extremists who want to fight it. But the reality is, no, local governments are not akin to what the states are to the feds. The state controls locals, and by the way, it happens to be in New Hampshire, locals really have no authority. They have very weak home rule, perhaps the weakest of any state. But again, don't get caught up in any procedure. Oh, well, this belongs to the locals, this belongs to the state, this belongs to the feds. We might have general guiding principles. But if you have a situation where the local government is grooming and masking, well, you got to step in and fight that human rights violation. Okay, it's that simple. But notice how something even like this, where we have a good legislature, we passed a dozen medical freedom bills, he is sitting and uh, vetoing. He, so, so he's going to veto two of them. And by the way, there's a third bill, HB 275, which basically would reform emergency power. So the governor can only have a 21-day emergency authority after the third renewal. So that would be about two months. He cannot renew it anymore, and it triggers an automatic convening of the legislature. He has until Wednesday to sign it. He has not signed it. Now, he might not veto it, but he's such a jerk that he refuses to sign such a common-sense reform. Gives him up to 60 days. This is what we have as Republicans. It's not going to change on its own. And it's not even, you know, things that are broadly popular. It's just the opposite. Do you know that the average Democrat voter is like, this is crazy. If you would tell them the story, and yet Republicans are like, oh, you're the ivermectin people. You're, you're one of those people that don't believe in getting the clot shots. Like, what? You know, there's a beautiful op-ed out by um, one of my best friends, Dr. Pierre Corey. And it's titled on his Substack, I published an op-ed addressing party politics in COVID. And he basically explains how this has changed him. It's changed him forever. And that he identifies with what Elon Musk is going through. And he says, the day before I published my op-ed, I got attacked in a hit piece as some sort of a right-wing rising star. It was published by a pharma rag called MedPage Today. And, and folks, I'm just telling you, that's how actually Republican politicians view people like Pierre Corey. That's the irony. But, you know, he goes on to say... I'm a lifelong Democrat. I voted for Obama, Hillary, Joe Biden. I used to have an inherent uh, aversion to Republicans, as I joke with colleagues, similar to how the vaccinated feel about the unvaccinated today. But as the pandemic unfolded 
and I discussed with doctors across the country and around the world my experience treating patients, I met many new conservative colleagues and friends who put politics aside to focus on doing our best at the bedside. It made me more tolerant and understanding of their worldviews. At the same time, I used to view Democrats and the center-left more broadly as the champions of free speech both in civil society and in our professional institutions. But now, as with today's progressive political movement, medical boards are adopting policies that censor opinions, defining speech or misinformation. And he goes on to say that basically, basically, you know, it's forced him to become a conservative. Think about that. Imagine if we had a party driving the narrative of someone like a Pierre Corey. This is why I say, I believe we need a new candidate to run as an independent for president. But really, not that I care about president, but I wanted to spawn candidates for governor. Do you know who I think is the best person to do that? Dr. Malone. He's brilliant. He gets politics. He also was a liberal, but he's gotten red-pilled. He totally gets it now. How is it that people like that get it 100 times more than Republicans and even a lot of longtime conservative figures, commentators. It's like everywhere you turn, we're getting screwed. I'm looking at Washington Post here. Virginia Governor Youngkin restores voting rights to thousands of ex-felons. Glenn Youngkin, conservative Republican who has typically projected a tough-on-crime image, announced Friday that he has restored the voting and other civil rights to 3,496 ex-felons. So he ran on one thing, now he's doing the other. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I know some of you will be like, oh, well, Daniel, they serve their time. I'm just telling you, they ain't voting for us. Okay, I, I don't see why you have to rush to do that before you fulfill your promises on getting tough on crime, before you fulfill your promises to victims. I don't see why you need to do that. So Terry McAuliffe... The previous governor made his entire um, you know, name off of restoring felons' rights. And here, Youngkin goes back the other way. Now, guess what? Then I scroll down in the article and I see, the restoration of rights process provides a fresh step forward for individuals who have made mistakes but have done their duty to our community. K. Cole James who handles rights restorations requests as Youngkin's Secretary of the Commonwealth. Do you know who that is? That was the last president of the Heritage Foundation. She is virulently pro-criminal, anti-incarceration, and she headed the Heritage Foundation for a couple years, That's what I'm telling you. On issues that the public is on one side, the conservative movement is to the left of them. They're they're inhibiting our growth. This whole thing makes no sense. So uh, he's yet to fulfill his promises on on crime, but this is his hellfire rush. This is what he feels he must do, whatever. I mean, there's so much going on, and it's criminals, it's Ukraine, 
That's what they care about. By the way, like a lot of people don't realize how bad it is. I mean, I traveled out here to be with folks in uh, Raton, New Mexico. I mean, the airfare, the rental car is insane. That's before you get to the gas and the hotels. Like a typical two-star hotel in rural New Mexico, it's like 130 bucks. It was never like that. It was like 70, 80 for a place like this. We're at the point where the NASDAQ and the S&P are now in their longest bear streak, meaning ending a week down um, in 21 years, and the Dow's longest weekly streak going down since 1923. Okay? So it actually blew out the stock market crash. Mortgage, mortgage um, uh, appointments are down 15%. Not appointments, I'm sorry. Applications are down 15% year over year. Home sales are down 5.9%. Unemployment benefits are up. I mean, this is all being done by design, just like the monkeypox. Make no mistake about it. But name me the Republicans speaking to it other than just trying to score cheap points. Oh, the Democrats. Imagine if for the past two years, every single conservative would have been saying what I'm saying to accentuate the radicalism of the left. Instead, we're the ones viewed as radical. You know, we want to talk about radical I want to read to you a story here because I I knew about it at the time. This guy, Jason Jones, he was a sheriff's deputy in Texas. He was hospitalized with COVID for seven months, and he just got out of the hospital. Emily Miller, it's emilypostnews.com. She posted, Texas deputy sheriff Jason Jones, then 48, was left for dead last fall when he was forced into the hospital and ventilated with a serious case of covid there was little hope for him. He was basically lying face down in a medically induced coma on a ventilator in the ICU. Now, seven months later, he's home with his devoted wife, Erin, and six kids. It's an unbelievable story. But there's more to the story. How does someone come home seven months later? That never happened. Well, Dr. Mary Talley Bowden, we actually had her on the show a while back uh, last year. She prescribed a compound ivermectin where they uh, smeared on his back because, you know, there was no way to administer it unless you had the cooperation of the staff, which, you know, they would lock you up if you did that. So the wife with uh, Mary Bowden's prescription would, um, and, and I know another doctor who did this too, would put topical ivermectin on. And that gradually brought him back. And when I say brought him back, that was after having been on a ventilator for months. Now, the hospital was saying, so, you know, it was subject of a court case. Uh, The family won the district court, but the appellate court overturned it. And then miraculously, he started getting better. And the hospital was like, see, he didn't need it. Well, really, I knew this the whole time that he was getting this treatment. Um, obviously, I didn't say anything, and Emily wrote in her piece that she made sure not to write it. She, she 
always had in mind she would divulge this to the public as soon as he left the hospital. Even though he was better, even though, I mean, we knew he would live for a while already, but it was just a long, long road to recovery. But she was terrified that the hospital would basically kill him. It's unbelievable. It is truly, truly disgusting. Most Americans don't know this is going on. But what what a story. I hope one day to have him on. It's scary. I mean, you, you see him being wheeled out of the hospital. He looks like he's 80. Looks like a shell of, of, of himself. He's a 48-year-old deputy. Um, I could not imagine what that's like. Um, he's just, you know, she's got pictures of it. What a beautiful, beautiful ending, beautiful moment. Um, but that's that's where it is. This is what had to happen, and we couldn't divulge this to the public because it would jeopardize his health. Could you imagine that? And yet, I don't know, back to Sununu in New Hampshire, keep in mind we do have that bill, uh, the ivermectin bill. I don't know if it's going to be signed. He might veto that too. We need to do better. We need to do better. It's that simple. I want to leave you with one story today. Uh, going back to the vaccine, I'm just jumping around a little bit. I am going to be behind on the news this week just because I'm going to be out having fun at the range with our, our audience here. And, and again, we will do this again soon. So so watch out for the date. It, honestly, I think it's it's better even you know than than the front site dates so this was this is really beautiful out here beautiful place Josh Gutzko he has a substack called uh Jack and Apes Junction and it's about basically a smoking gun of fraud in the Pfizer trial it was one of the participants he is subject name 12312982 in Pfizer study. His name is Augusto Roux, R-O-U-X, 35-year-old lawyer from Buenos Aires, and he volunteered for the stage three trial. And it is a pretty wild, wild story. It is a wild story. He went home. He went to the largest trial site. Um, I believe it's the largest trial site in the world, which makes it pretty, uh, you know, suspicious, but whatever. We'll leave it at that. On the way home after a second dose on September 9th, 2020, note how early this was, right? That was ages ago. He began feeling unwell, developed a high fever felt terrible and fainted on September 11th, went to the hospital September 12th. They did a thorough workup, including a CAT scan of his chest that showed an abnormal collection of fluid around the outside of his heart. Ostensibly pericarditis, the outer lining of the heart. He was discharged a couple days later. The doctor wrote in his chart that he had suffered, suffered an adverse reaction to the vaccine, Augusto was told by the hospital staff 
there that uh, there was a huge influx of people from the clinical trial coming to the hospital. One nurse estimated they had seen around 300 people. Remember, this is the largest trial site in the world. Um, so Augusto's a lawyer, and he's sued to get his medical and trial clinical records, even though it took him over a year. Even though Augusto had a negative PCR test at the hospital, and even though the doctor at the hospital wrote that his condition was due to the vaccine, when Augusto called the trial site on September 14th to notify them that he was in the hospital, they wrote down in his clinical trial record that he had been admitted for a bilateral pneumonia that had nothing to do with the investigational product. On October 7th, the clinical trial notes that at the request of the sponsor, meaning Pfizer, the adverse event code was updated to, you guess it, you guessed it, COVID-19. This is when Elijah, you know, the prophet Elijah said to King Ahab, have you killed and have you inherited? So they go and say, you need the shot for COVID. COVID's going to kill you. You better get the shot. The shot gave this guy pericarditis. They lied and put down myocarditis. They put down COVID, even though he actually had a negative PCR test. Two days later, on October 9th, Augusto was formally unblinded, the principal investigator for the trial. Fernando Polak had told him that Augusto could only be unblinded if his life were in danger, which is simply untrue. So basically, there's a whole back and forth there. I'm not going to go through the details, but this is wild that we now have an individual that we know and, and, and there's testimony from others, from AstraZeneca, that they would kick them out. Remember, we literally have like 1% of people having serious reactions and you know, 20, 30 having substantial reactions to it, even if it might not be serious. And the trial, they're like, man, we don't see anything. They knew this. They knew it in, in September 2020. They probably knew it... A, few months before that and they did it anyway genocide just keep that in mind when we're dealing with the monkeypox. and folks i gotta run out today we gotta get, go out to the range again i will make you feel jealous those of you who didn't come um the weather is really good here most of the year so uh we'll let you know when our next date is please send this show to every one of your friends and relatives do me a personal favor and give us a five-star rating with a comment on itunes Tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.